Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio with host Jerry Prokopovich. Our program covers all aspects of Civil War history, from the battlefields to the home fronts, and features guest experts, plus insight from your host as they discuss the most critical period in American history. Now, here is your host, Jerry Prokopovich. Thanks, and welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. Today, looking at the common soldier's life in the Confederacy, as we look at one of the most famous Civil War memoirs ever written, Company H, or a sideshow of the big show, by Sam Watkins. Sam, who died in 1901, can't be with us today, but we have the next best thing, the editor of a new annotated edition of this memoir. That is Philip Lee, and he joins us today on Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu. Dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome to the show. Jerry Prokopovich here with you, as always, each week from the third floor of the Brewster Building on the campus of East Carolina University in Greenville, North Carolina. It's the middle of October, 2013, and that means it's dark at showtime. So I'm looking out and seeing students going to evening activities, the marching band's rehearsal is over, and people are walking around. But the uh, weather is starting to get the slightest uh, chill here in North Carolina. By chill locally, that means it's under 65 degrees. but it is at least uh, no longer sweltering 24 hours a day. So that's that's good. Even though 
I'm broadcasting from East Carolina University. I'm not speaking for the university, nor is my guest speaking for anyone but himself. As always, we're always on our own hook here at Civil War Talk Radio. Well, we have so far operated the show flawlessly this evening, getting the uh, uh, very professional-sounding introductions coming in at the right time. They always do that, and I usually interrupt them or wait too long, and I'm learning the timing and getting it down. Uh, there's a, a great line that our uh, author, Sam Watkins, quotes in his memoir, It's Not an Adventure Until Something Goes Wrong. In that case, every week uh, is an adventure here on Civil War Talk Radio. And in weeks to come, we have more adventures, just to let you know it's coming up shortly in the future. Uh, next week, October 23rd, Alan Gelzo will join us to talk about the Battle of Gettysburg, uh, his new book that has drawn a lot of attention. On October 30th, uh, Tom Horrocks, who's the Special Collections Director at Brown University, will be with us. He has a forthcoming book on campaign literature in 1860 and 1864 uh, that we'll be discussing on November 6th, David uh, Soselsky, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, you'd think I would know, uh, uh, talking about the, the fires of freedom, his uh, very well-received new book. Tom Vossler is with us to talk about uh, Gettysburg again, the, a, a guide to Gettysburg that he's co-written with Carol Reardon. And then on November 20th, Frank Barney uh, has a, a book that will tell us something new, uh, and so I understand, about the memoirs of General Grant. So all kinds of interesting new things coming up. It'll be Thanksgiving after that, more good shows to follow, but that's just a teaser to get you going. To stay abreast of everything, go, as always, to www.impedimentsofwar.org. Mark Gaffney runs the shop there and will tell you what's coming up on the show and what's been on the show. You can also buy... The books that are discussed on the show uh, from Amazon through that website. And when you do that, if you click on uh, the site and enter Amazon via impedimentsofwar.org, it puts a few pennies in the website's coffers and helps support uh, that very important service for us here. So please consider doing that. If you're feeling extra generous, contributions are always welcome to help us buy the books that publishers don't send us. Sometimes a publisher doesn't get around to doing that, and we have to go out and buy it. Uh, and you can do that also from the website uh, where there's a PayPal donation button. So lots going on there. Uh, the show uh, continues to move forward. I'm taking a deep breath here at the end of a, another long day of uh, adventure in the sense of things going wrong here at East Carolina University where uh, the 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 academic atmosphere is as good as it's ever been. Our students are, uh, if anything, I think better this year than ones we've had in the past. Uh, in in some ways, maybe less so in others, but uh, but the atmosphere from uh, from above, what the administration gives us to work with, is uh, more more troubling each week. And rather than talk about that, I happily dive back into the 1860s at 7 o'clock Wednesday evening with you, or whenever you're listening to this, and talk about uh, the job 
I'm supposed to really do, which is history. So let's do that right now and find out about this classic Civil War memoir, Company H, A-Y-T-C-H, spelled phonetically for our benefit, Company H, or A Sideshow of the Big Show, by uh, Sam Watkins, a, a high private of a Tennessee regiment. It is a classic work. Uh, many of you have already read it, but we now have a new edition with an introduction in annotations by Philip Lee, who joins us this evening. Mr. Lee, are you there? Yeah, I uh, feel fortunate to be included among uh, the uh, prominent list of guests that you've had in the past and the ones you just announced. Well, we're, I'm delighted you could uh, join me for this and uh, you know, glad to have you aboard. It's always uh, it, it is fun. I, I feel the same way as you do. I think it, it's it's always uh, uh, fun to have uh, some of the folks we get on the show, all the folks we get on the show, for that matter, uh, who can share their insights into uh, into Civil War history. You um, have uh, edited this uh, this memoir, which I'm guessing many of our listeners have already read at some point. Uh, is this the first uh, Civil War book that you've produced? Yes, it is the first one I've done. I do have a new one uh, under contract, which will come out next spring, called Trading with the Enemy, which is all about uh, intersectional trade during the Civil War, with the Northerners buying cotton, sometimes by gold, and uh, the Southerners uh, selling the cotton and then using the gold to buy weapons. Sometimes they traded gold. Uh, sometimes they traded directly uh, cotton for uh, or weapons for cotton. I'm looking at the back of the book, and I guess that fits with your background. Uh, it says here that you hold an MBA from the Kellogg School at Northwestern University. Uh, has history always been uh, uh, an, an avocation, something you've, you've enjoyed, or uh, how did you come to write or edit this it's, particular book? It's a fascinating book? question because I really can't explain, but ever since, I, you know, I don't know, 10 or 11 years old, I've been fascinated by the American Civil War. I can't really explain it. I once dated a lady who felt that, well, the explanation was I was a reincarnated Confederate soldier. <laughs> hmm. Well, the, uh, I didn't date her very long. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was, it well, was a clever, clever thought. It's not. I, I read somewhere somebody once asked Bruce Catton how he knew some particularly obscure detail that he, he cited in a talk, and he closed his eyes and said, I don't know, maybe I was there. <laughs> so uh, uh maybe he thought the same thing uh so so what what uh, what's your day job when you're not writing or editing civil war books well actually now i'm i am uh, doing uh, full time uh writing uh as i mentioned mm. i have another book coming that will be published under my own name but i also ghostwrite i ghostwrite memoirs and biographies for uh, patriarchs and matriarchs of wealthy families that's the way i earn a living wow how do you get that gig that's interesting well, uh, I live in Tampa, Florida, and uh, just go through a prospect list. Uh, for example, the Republican National Convention was down here when Mitt Romney was nominated, and a number of prominent citizens in the area were, were uh, you know, donated money to support that convention and get it, get it here in Tampa. And so I just went down the list and started sending them letters. Uh, I'd use old postage stamps back from the, even the 1940s. You can buy them at face value. They'd open hmm. my letters and see that I've been... Uh, I've written 18 articles for the New York Times Disunion series. And so two of them gave me a chance. I actually just started that this year. Two of them gave me a chance, and I just completed them. So now I've got two good references, and I'm going after more. But that's not really our story. But I'm glad no. you, you know, I'm certainly help, you know, happy to answer any questions you have. 
Well, you know, if if, um, if any of our listeners are interested in having a, a ghostwritten memoir, now they know who to call. Now, that actually does bring up a question. Did Sam Watkins write his own memoir? Is this really his work that you know, as oh, far as you I, know? I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. That never occurred to me. I mean, first let me clarify. I really, I did not edit this. I did annotate it, and I added mm-hmm. illustrations, principally uh, maps. Uh, the, really, the, the, there's very little editing. He consistently misspelled the regimental commander field, uh, which what most people would do. My spell checker kept doing it to F-I-E-L-D when it was actually F-E-I-L-D. I don't know why, but that's the way it was. And uh, I did a few, very little editing per se. I did shorten the paragraphs, which were un, unnecessarily long and made it harder to read. And uh, they were kind of run together. So I did shorten them, just split up the paragraphs some. But the real uh, advantage here of the uh, annotated and illustrated version is that it is annotated. That when he talks about things, he wrote this 20 years after the war, the typical reader understood implicitly a lot of the things that he was talking about because they lived through it. Uh, but today, a lot of people don't uh, understand and relate to things that he uh, people that he was talking about and things that and he was talking about in places. For example, his humor shows up very early in the book when he refers to Horace Greeley as Horrors Greeley. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I just put a little footnote there to explain, you know, who Horace Greeley was, and you know, a newspaper publisher in New York, a prominent. Uh, uh, a proponent of uh, uh, slavery abolition, and the, you know, credited with the "Go West, Young Man, Go West" uh, uh, expression. Um, so the annotations, uh, and there's over 250 of them in here, explain a lot of the detail that isn't explained. And I also do correct him when he makes mistakes, and he does make a number of mistakes. But I read this book. You know, the, the book is kind of popular now, but it wasn't very popular until the uh, Ken Burns uh, series on public broadcasting about 20 years ago. I, I, it, I did want to ask you about that the, the history of the book itself, because the, it, you said it was written 20 years after the war, so the 1880s. Right. But, and, and I have a recollection of seeing it on shelves. Maybe I had a secondhand copy in the 70s or 80s. Uh, but it gets quoted heavily in in Ken Burns' work, and, and that's what brought it to public attention in your well, view? Uh, he got, I think Sam Watkins and, and Shelby Foote probably benefited more than any Southerners uh, from that, uh, from that uh, documentary. Uh, one of them already deceased, the other one wasn't at the time. Yeah, I, I, here's, here's, it was written in the, originally as a series, uh, a kind of a serial in the Columbia, Tennessee newspaper in uh, 1881-82, so it was 20 years after the beginning of the war. And um, then it was published uh, in a small edition. Hardcover was $1.25, paperback was $0.75. Cents. Then interestingly, uh, around the turn of the 19th to the 20th century, it was published by the Chattanooga Times, which at that time was owned by Adolf Oaks, and he had only a few years earlier purchased the New York Times. And the same family, uh, his daughter married the Sulzbergers, and the Sulzbergers still own the New York Times. But it was published by the Chattanooga Times around 1900, uh, and then there wasn't much more done with the book. Some people picked it up, uh, most famously Margaret Mitchell uh, picked it up. In fact, some people speculate that that scene in the movie showing all the wounded Confederate soldiers in Atlanta uh, 
was drawn from uh, uh, Watkins' description of a similar scene. But she picked it up, and she, she, she found what the later readers like me found, that it was, it was genuine. This, this man ha- had the ability to write, at times, uh, a prose that rose to the level and humor of Mark Twain. It did get. Uh, it did renew. Some, there was some publicity about it, or there was some additional publication at the Centennial, because there was at the Centennial, like at the Susquehanna, demand for books about the Civil War. So Collier's uh, took, you know, took the the path of publishing a number of memoirs since they were in the public domain. They didn't have to pay any royalties. They they published Sherman's memoirs, Grant's memoirs, and then they com- published Company H. Then it sat sort of fallow until the early 90s when Ken Burns picked it up. And I really don't know what caused him to pick it up. But uh, he, somebody that was involved in producing that documentary discovered what the rest of us have, which this is a wonderful narrative. Certainly not perfect. It has its imperfections. But it's, it does tell us the life of the common Confederate soldier uh, that in a way that I don't think I've not discovered another memoir that does it as well. I, I think that's uh, safe to say it is the standard for that kind of book. Uh, we're going to take a short break and talk about what Sam Watkins experienced and uh, what stories you particularly found uh, moving or, or uh, impressive or entertaining as we go through. So we'll take a, a few minutes off, a short break here. We'll come back in a minute. I'm talking today with Philip Lee, uh, who's uh, introduced and annotated a new edition of Sam Watkins' memoir, I'm Jerry Prokopovich, and this is Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. 
Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at ecu dot edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And we are back with more of Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking today with Philip Lee, who has uh, produced a new edition of Sam Watkins' memoir, Company H, or A Sideshow of the Big Show. It is uh, perhaps the classic Civil War uh, enlisted uh, man's uh, memoir. And uh, we talked in our first segment a little bit about the history of the book itself, written in the 1880s. Uh, but not really popular until the 1990s when uh, Ken Burns used it extensively in his television production. Uh, Phil, I was interested in... I, when I got this, it struck me that I'd never actually read this book cover to cover. I, I knew it through Ken Burns and, and knew who Sam Watkins was. But uh, so you've certainly performed a service here in getting... Uh, uh, some of us, at least, who've never actually read it, to read it through. And your judgment, I think, uh, holds up accurately. This is, in some ways, as uh, there are there are moments that, that rise to the level of uh, the, the humor of Mark Twain. Uh, what Are there any particular examples of that? that, that well, yeah, there, there are a number of them, but I think the one that probably is the most fitting is, you know, Mark Twain broke into the big time or maybe by uh, his short story, uh, the celebrated jumping frog of Calaveras County, and that was actually written with less than a year after Appomattox. And the funny thing is that there was a similar incident, except a true incident, with Watkins. Uh, as you're familiar, after the Battle of Shiloh, the Confederates retreated uh, to Corinth, and then they were eventually abandoned in Corinth, Mississippi as well, and moved to Tupelo, where there was better water. They stayed there for seven weeks, and the soldiers had nothing to do. And so in, in the end, they would, they, gambling would always was, would become something that they would do with idle time. They'd gamble on anything, including uh, they had lice. So they put lice on the tin plates, and each guy would pick his lice, and they put on the plate, and the one that ran the lice that ran off the t- the tin plate first was the you know if it, if it was mine then I was the winner and I won the money that was bet by everybody else and this one guy named Dornan kept winning and they couldn't figure out why until they discovered what he did was uh he heated his plate that's similar to the celebrated jumping frog of Calaveras County which that was an, a short story by Twain where a guy in, in in the mining camps of California had a frog that could outjump any frog in the county, and then a gambler came to town and said, "Well, you know, if you get me a frog, I'll bet you I can my frog can beat yours." So he went and got a frog, and while the the, the miner was out getting the frog for the gambler, the gambler put buckshot into the miner's frog. So when they came back to jump, the miner's frog wouldn't jump. So that was a fictional account, but Sam Watkins' story was true. The 
Tell us a bit about Sam Watkins himself, about his service. What uh, what regiment was he in? Uh, what what kind of action did he see? Yeah, that's a that's a good question because uh, he was in the First Tennessee Regiment, uh, most commonly identified with the Army of Tennessee under Bragg. But he fought in every major battle that 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 army was in. And when he joined Company H, there were about a hundred members, as you know, that's con- conventional. At the end of the war, he surrendered at Bentonville, and uh, he uh, there were only hundred uh, there were only seven people uh, of the original people in that company left, and he was one of them. So he fought at uh, Perryville, he fought at Shiloh, he fought at Murfreesboro, he fought at Chattanooga, Chickamauga, uh, the Atlanta campaign, um, and then he did you know he was also in North Carolina at the end. His uh, his experience to me was remarkable. He was captured three times and wounded three times. Uh, but he, even though he was captured, he was never paroled because he always managed to escape on his own. It's just a remarkable experience that he had. So he, I mean, he saw a lot of action. What? Um, one of the things that, that I find striking about this is the tone that he adopts. Uh, you mentioned Mark Twain the the tone of of american literature in the 19th century is uh romantic and uh emotional and sincere and there's certainly a lot of that in in sam watkins when he talks about his his feelings for his fellow soldiers but there's a certain amount of irony uh that he uses which is not characteristic of american writing there, uh, Twain does it. Ambrose Bierce does it. A Union officer who later becomes a famous writer. Uh, but Watkins does use uh, this, this sort of humorous, uh, understated approach to all the things he is suffering. Uh, uh, in, in particular, the example that comes to my mind is how he describes uh, the fact that this is a, a book about privates and the generals do all the fighting. The generals are the famous ones you've all read about. Uh, this is just me, uh, and it, it's a very small, minor story. That's not what he really means, obviously, but that's how he says it. Right. You know, after I've read this, I mean, I've had different heroes in the war, whether it be Robert E. Lee or Abraham Lincoln. And, but after I read this book, and I read it through two times, uh, I, I concluded I don't really know one that anyone that deserves more credit than what he than he does. Forget what he endured. You know, and marching, I mean, you'd start to see it on the march into Kentucky barefoot, you know. And he's so hungry when he's coming back from Kentucky, he, buy, he buys a whole jar of molasses or sorghum <laughs> from mm-hmm. one of the people along the roadside. He eats the whole thing. And he says, I could never have a bite of sorghum or molasses for the rest of my life after that. It made him so sick. Uh, another another thing that was humorous, and you may remember this, was uh, and it getting to the generals. Uh, there was a, a fairly prominent preacher just before Chickamauga who was invited to address the First Tennessee, and I guess some other regiments there. And he went into a long-winded uh, uh, lecture uh, or sermon, and uh, <laughs> you know, Watkins describes it as uh, you know that hell is a or that uh, God is a is a circle. With with no end, and hell is hell has a circumference uh, that we don't know where it begins and where it ends, and that it's a place of, of burning sulfur and other ignited ingredients. He says, by this time I'd lost the run of his prayer. 
And I don't think anyone <laughs> understood him except the generals. And, and he says, you know, but pretty soon what happens, we hear the awfulest racket, and a wild bull comes running through, and it broke up the congregation without the doxology. That, that, he, he really does capture the, uh, uh, the enlisted man's point of view. Right, uh, and, and which differs obviously from that of the general. I'm just paging through here. The the, moment, the thing about eating the uh, the sorghum when they're they're starving as they leave uh, Tennessee uh, or leave leave Kentucky after Perryville or coming back. Uh, and I'm trying to see if I can find that because the way he expresses it was particularly striking. Yeah, it's hard for me to. I kind of wanted, when I got on this interview, to figure out, I want to say these words exactly right, but I just can't remember them. I did mm-hmm. write an article for the New York Times and summarized about five of the most funniest incidents, and some of the most touching incidents, too, about this. And it's on the New York Times uh, Disunion series, and you can just you know search for the Sam Watkins Thing. And it's it's it, and it's it's five of the funniest and most touching incidents are there. For example, he uh, he describes uh, uh, how his father comes to uh, when they're in uh, Chattanooga mm-hmm. to uh, to visit him, and he's embarrassed. He wants to offer his father dinner, but all they had was parched corn. So he says, "I'm gonna, I, I'm here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna go introduce my dad to the regimental commander, see if we don't get invited to have dinner with him." That way I'll get a better dinner. So he does, and the regimental commander is very you know, gracious to his dad. says, I want to invite you to join me for dinner. Within, apparently within five or ten minutes, and one of the slaves who was a cook comes over, dumps parched corn onto an old cloth in front of the regimental commander and says, Master, dinner ready. <laughs> He's got the same thing that the men are eating. That, yeah. that, is, a, that is a great, uh, a great scene. And and conveys the the respect that Watkins has for some of his officers, uh, who who he thinks uh, you know, very highly of, who share the the men's hardships. Um, on the other hand, there's some officers he doesn't care for, some generals that, that he, he's not fond of. Uh, is that fair to say? Well, like most of the common soldiers in the Army of Tennessee, he was hostile towards Bragg. He was he was also forgiving, but he I think the thing that that he that that sort of pushed him over the edge on Bragg was Bragg's discipline in executing deserters. Yeah, that's those are some of the touching examples when he describes the desertion and the execution. I think there was one incident there when uh, he goes to you know they're called I think to uh, to witness an execution and he sees these two two young boys there. One of them like maybe 14 or 16 years old, and he thought to himself, he, it never occurred to him that they were going to shoot those those two. And when it happened, he just was sickened. And I think he put, I think he put that on Bragg. Yeah, he, he, he mentions a lot of executions, uh, that, that more than, than uh, uh, a lot of other memoirs do. It, it seems they obviously made a huge impression on him that – uh, the Confederates regularly were executing their fellow soldiers at Bragg's orders for, for various crimes. Uh, he, he, mentions more than, he mentions more than one, but it, he doesn't, in my opinion, mention a lot. I think what makes it stand out is his reaction to it, which I think was pretty common among the soldiers. They were really sickened by it. It happened not only in the Army of Tennessee, though Bragg may have been more... Uh, Persistent about it, or, or insistent about it, than than Robert E. Lee. But it happened in other armies, 
And the common soldier was absolutely sickened by it. And he did make the point. He says, you know, what's interesting is if, you know, if a general feels that he's been mistreated, he resigns and goes home. But, you know, if a, a common soldier feels mistreated and leaves, he's executed if he's caught. And he also he talks about when Joe Johnston takes over the Army of Tennessee that he uh, is that he actually executes more soldiers than Bragg did for desertion, but he did it for for people who'd actually committed serious crimes and didn't do it for the purpose of intimidating the rest of the army. Bragg made a great show of it and. Johnston had it done privately and to punish people who who apparently deserved it, and the army didn't object to that. But it was it was these big displays that seemed to sicken Watkins to have to watch their fellow oh, soldiers. Uh, yeah, being shot. And, and that was typical of the common soldier. I don't really know about on the Union side, but I, I, if it if it happened, I'm sure the common soldiers all reacted the same way. And in some respects, I get the feeling from this book that the common soldiers after the war kind of respected one another for just the experience of what they lived, even though they were enemies. I think that's why 20 years after the war, it's remarkable to me that he could be so um, willing to, to reconcile. You know, here is now 150 years after the war, and some people still don't reconcile. But he, he seemed all, the, all, all altogether willing to do that. I, I, that is an interesting aspect of this book because – uh, if you look on a nationwide scale, the real reconciliation literature starts to appear in the 1890s uh, and and thereafter. Uh, this is what David Blight argues in Race and Reunion and uh, other scholars are picking up that the, the, the sections come together over exactly what you just said, the idea that the, the soldiers on both sides fought a good fight and could respect one another and both for various reasons were willing or eager to put away uh, the political issues that caused the war. Secession and slavery were not to be spoken of uh, on either side. So once you stop talking about that, then you can just respect the other guy as a good fighter. And in that sense, Watkins is ahead of his time, uh, because as you note, that's very much what he he says. And, and that's not, doesn't become as, as, as much of a theme in literature until later. So... Uh, well, I was also struck, I don't know what the meaning of it is, but I was also struck by his near, well, his paucity of discussion about slavery. He very he seldom talks about slaves. And really, the, the, the principal incident that he does discuss is a humorous one. So I, I don't really know, I don't want to read too much into that, but it, it's a fact. It's just not mentioned very much in his his memoirs. It's not. I, I was struck by that too. I was curious how he would address that, especially in the in, in the beginning of the book. He talks about um, secession. He says he still thinks it was constitutional, but the war settled it. It's never to be spoken of again. The issue was closed, and uh, uh, so so that's that's as political as he wants to get. Uh, he doesn't address slavery. One, I guess, one approach to that would be to argue that. Uh, none of the ex-Confederates were talking about slavery. Jeff, you know, Alexander Stevens writes an elaborate uh, uh, defense of the Confederacy that, that leaves slavery out of it. When during the war, he was very clear that slavery was part of it. Uh, there's no there's no percentage in talking about it after the war because slavery is over. You've lost, so it's time to move on and make the war be about something else. Whether Watkins is doing that intentionally or whether his interest is simply in his own experience is, is a very 
good question, though, and and I think you are right when you you focus on his experience as a soldier. He's not thinking so much about the motives as he is about uh, what he goes through. And just right. just to, to to push, I, I don't, I'm talking over too much now, but I'm, I'm so interested in, in what Watkins says here. He does talk about the uh, that. Tennessee is not a secession state. The eighty percent voted against secession, but the governor wanted to secede. And eventually, after Lincoln calls for troops, then the state secedes. But uh, he has a very funny story of a, someone running for office as the fourth corporal of the regiment, who makes a big speech about his devotion to the Union, and his opponent makes a big speech about how he's a, an anti-Union rebel. And the soldiers elect the Union man. And this That's is nineteen sixty-three. The war is half over. I, that fascinated me. That that, uh, and I don't know. Perhaps he's trying to say something there. Well, I think that's one of the things that we get out of reading this is that the history, uh, the feelings of the people on both sides are probably much more nuanced than mm-hmm. than any kind of dogmatic uh, look back at it would 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 have us believe. There was a lot of nuance there. I think, Absolutely. I think, I'm uh, going to interrupt. We're going to take yeah. another short break sure. now and come right back. Uh, okay. So hold that thought for just a okay. second. We are today talking with Philip Lee, who has introduced and annotated a new edition of Sam Watkins' memoir, Company H, a sideshow of the big show. It's a Civil War classic you'll want to read. My name's Jerry Prokopovich, and this is Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at VoiceAmericaTRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN or follow along with us at VoiceAmericaTRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Want to know what's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network host? How about what's new with our network? Make sure you check out the iRadio blog, a look at what's hot at Voice America and beyond. Visit www.iradioblog.com today. Get the inside scoop on every channel on our network, including breaking news, featured guests, blog posts from our hosts, and much more. Make sure you sign up for our newsletter for even more inside action. Visit iradioblog.com today and stay connected. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! 
If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at ecu dot edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. Talking today with Philip Lee, who has edited, uh, introduced, and annotated, I should say, Sam Watkins' uh, classic Civil War memoir of a Confederate private titled Company H, or a sideshow of the big show. Uh, Philip, you were just starting to say something when we got to the break. Uh, yeah, the, uh, just something timely. I was watching the news last night, and a, a new soldier had been given the Congressional Medal of Honor. And uh, the uh, in the news clip they showed on TV that uh, at, at one point he, he was bringing back a wounded soldier to put into the helicopter, and he actually kissed that soldier, uh, apparently on the cheek. But he kissed him, and uh, so I think the, somebody asked me, said, "Well, do you you know how do you feel about that?" I said, "I'm not embarrassed about that at all." There, that was to me the most probably the most memorable thing in in uh, Company H was when one of their his his uh, you know, company mates, one of his soldiers in his company was, was wounded at Chattanooga and shot in the head. And he and three other soldiers uh, picked him up, put him on a litter, and carried him all the way to Chickamauga Station and where, uh, in the retreat. And then a doctor looked at the, uh, the wounded soldier and said, this, this boy's never going to make it. You need to just forget about taking him any further. And so they just put him by the side of the road, and each one of the four litter mates kissed him on the lips. And I thought, man, I said, I can't imagine that being done under any other circumstances. But then I saw last night this one soldier who got the Congressional Medal of Honor did the same thing. He said, I just wanted that wounded soldier to know that we, we appreciated what he did and we cared about what he did. They did it there 150 years ago. That is really a, a great story. It's remarkable <laughs> to me. I, 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 I was stunned by that. I couldn't believe it, you know, but it happened. Well, now, it, there's it some does... things in the book that didn't happen, <laughs> and that's, you know, I do want to mention I put out, um, yes. in addition to the annotations, we've got a number of map illustrations, which is important because, you know, he was in the first Tennessee Company H, and so, you know, where was he? These these illustrations on the battles show where he was. He talks in his narrative about, you know, fighting this and that, but I wanted to show where he was, and probably the best example was at Perryville when he actually was at uh, you know, Stark Weathers Hill, which was the so-called high watermark of the Confederacy in the West. Yeah, the, the illustrations uh, and especially the maps are extremely helpful in, in showing that because, as you note, he's writing for an audience that knows all about this. And the people listening to the show will know where Perryville was and probably have a map of Perryville close at hand. But a lot of people aren't listening to this show. They should be, uh, but but they aren't. And, and uh, for the person with a casual interest in the Civil War, those maps really do bring – uh, create context that makes this much more comprehensible. Now, you mentioned uh, that not everything he says is accurate. In fact, one of the things that I, I 
caught on to after a while reading this is he frequently will stop and address the reader directly and say, now, if you want to know about the whole story of the battle, you have to read history. I'm just telling you what I remember. Or it was 20 years ago. I don't remember exactly. Here's how I recall. And after a while, it became formulaic. It reminded me of, of Homer in, in uh, the Odyssey or the Iliad using stock phrases every once in a while in the narrative uh, to sort of catch his breath, remind you this is a, a story I'm telling, and then get back into the, the narrative. But this is a personal narrative. It's not a history. And he does get quite a few things wrong. And uh, how did you do the research to find out well, when he that, was right and when he was that, wrong? That's the beauty of the Internet. I don't think this project would have been possible without well, – it would have been possible, but it would have taken years without the Internet. Some of the obscure characters he mentioned, you know, I can actually do a Google search and find out what happened to them. Whereas before the Internet, gosh, it would have taken forever to find out. And it's 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 fascinating. But well, I mean, one example of an error is that he was he was at dead angle uh, at Kenesaw Mountain, so he, his first Tennessee was right in the middle of the the, the worst part of the fighting for the Confederates. And uh, so he says, you know, well, I, I I figure that we we must have killed each each one of the soldiers in my regiment must have killed twenty Yankees. So you work that out, that implies six thousand casualties right at dead angle. Well, Sherman reported for the whole battle that casualties were 3,000 and deaths, you know, were less than 3,000. So that's an example of an exaggeration and an inaccuracy. He also, during the battle of Atlanta, during the campaign for Atlanta, uh, he got a number of the battles out of sequence. And uh, that, that, was, uh, that was a chore, working that out, because he referred to some of the battles by names that are not common today. And so the internet helped me break, you know, helped me track all that down. Um, so there's there's another example, and another good example of an error. I, I, I'm almost certain it's an error. As he he said when they in the early part of the war, in the first winter of the war, they were actually in in Virginia, what is now West Virginia, actually only you know about ten miles from the Pennsylvania line. And he said that he walked upon some centuries for the Third Arkansas, who had been frozen in place. <laughs> you know. Uh, I don't think that happened. That, that's yeah. He presents it as a tableau of finding the, these guys frozen yeah. at their posts, but there's no other. We don't know that story from any other source. You, that's the kind of thing that if it had happened, you'd think we'd have heard about it, uh, other than from just one one soldier's yeah, tale. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I think it it is a memoir, and uh, you know. Uh, one of one of the quotes that I've got on the memoirs, you know, what you're about to read is 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 is, is the truth, uh, is the half truth, and practically the truth, but not the entire truth. Something humorous comment like that. I I don't think what he's really kind of con- I know what he conveys though effectively is it was damn cold that winter, and they yeah. were not ready. <laughs> they were not properly equipped. They were like the French soldiers going to Moscow. And now, when he idea. says something, so when he, he describes, for example, the fighting at uh, Lookout Mountain and the fighting at, at Tunnel Hill and Missionary Ridge all outside of Chattanooga in, in 1863, and you point out in your annotations, he couldn't possibly have been in these three battles all at the same time. So some of this he's telling from memory and some of it he's telling from stories that other people have told him who were there or things he's read. That's the presumption I make as well. I think some of what he's saying is what he has heard from others, and he sort of worked it into a memoir. I'm not sure why he did that, 
other than to try and maybe convey the whole feel of the thing, which he does effectively. But, yeah, I, I, I conclude he was at Tunnel Hill. I mean, the story about uh, – the soldier that they took off to Chickamauga Station, that just rings too true. But his, his discussion of what happened over on Lookout Mountain is far too sketchy to be believable that he was there, though it does what? give a, an impression of what the whole thing was like. It, it does that, and it doesn't, I mean, to me, it doesn't undermine his credibility. I, I certainly don't get the sense he was making stuff up at any point, uh, but rather... He he was just demonstrating how human memory works, and this is you know, certainly one of the hot topics nowadays in historical scholarship of the Civil Wars is how people how we remember it, and literally the soldiers would remember things. Uh, well, we all remember things that didn't happen. I, I have learned not to tell detailed stories of my own past twenty or thirty years when my wife is present, because she will remember them correctly, and I will tell them more interestingly and entertainingly uh occasionally she'll remind me you know that didn't happen to you that happened to me and she'll be right i've I've retold it as if it were my story because it was such a good story and i just wanted to tell it uh and i i wonder if, if and that's just a human i'm not i'm not trying to lie but uh i really think it's my story now i've heard it enough times so I wonder if that's what Watkins is doing the same thing. Well, I, he, I think it's, it may be, but I think it's more probably what you first identified, which is he's bringing in stories that other people have told him mm-hmm. and, and accepting them as genuine, or at mm-hmm. least, if not genuine, at least conveying the the reality of it. Uh, I think, you know, uh, Sylvie Food says, you know, the historian and the, and the, and the fiction writer, we're, we're, we're both trying to tell the truth. We're just trying to tell it in a different way. Exactly. And, uh, and I think maybe there's a little bit of that there, but I think he probably drew these stories, some of the stuff from other people. And also he just, you know, some of his memory was just bad. But, I mean, what, you know, for example, I do the ghostwriting from the memoirs and biographies mm-hmm. of people here. And what I tell them is that, you know, they, the, you know the, the, the actual words you choose, nobody's going to be, I don't think we'll see another Shakespeare. The actual words we choose don't matter as much as can we get a good story here. I mean, mm-hmm. Russell Baker says, you know, nobody's life makes any sense, so you might as well turn it into a story. Mm-hmm. I think he did a little bit of that, Sam Watkins. Well, I, and I think you can't really remember anything if it's not in story form. I, I mean, I, excellent point. I agree. That, that everything that happens around us, an, an infinite number of things have happened in the last half hour, but uh, we can't remember them all. We just tell the ones that, that fit into a narrative. Who do you suppose he was writing this book for when he when he first wrote it? Did he have a, do, you, do you know if he had a purpose? I think it was his comrades. He wanted to honor his comrades. I don't think there's any doubt about that. He wanted he, to honor the, the band of brothers that went through this experience with him. Whether they were on the right side or the wrong side of history, he wanted to honor what they endured to try and protect their homes or whatever it was. He wanted to honor those people. Now, in... In general, the case of General Grant's memoirs, to take a famous example, uh, one of Grant's main purposes at that point was to provide for his family. He knew he was dying, and wanted, and he had, you know, been cheated by friends in his life, and didn't have uh, the money he wanted to leave behind for his, his his family. So he wrote memoirs, which turned into a bestseller, and and did indeed generate uh, a small fortune. Was money an element? Do you think in Watkins no, publishing think so. this? I think it was maybe an outside hope, but I think most of the people that have written good books say, you know, I didn't do it for money. I did it because it's the story was in me. I had to get it out. I had another motivation. 
And uh, you know, he 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 actually has a dedication to his comrades at the front part of the book. And if you look at it, he shapes the words. He puts he links them together so that they form a cross. I mean, he was Christian, but <laughs> I think that uh, it was to it was to pay tribute to those comrades, particularly those that had died, that he did this. And therefore, it was it was a labor of love, and that really, to me, shines through, despite the irregularities and faults that will be found in the book. Well, it is, you know, a a classic book. I'm very glad now to have taken the time to have read it for the first time. It's it's a little embarrassing to admit that there's a there's some novel which I'm sorry to say I haven't read of about uh, professors where they play a game of what's the most embarrassing book in your field that you haven't read, uh, the book you're most embarrassed to admit you haven't read, and, and they take turns naming books. And finally, some young professor of English admits he never read Macbeth, and everybody looks at him like, okay, you've gone too far. Uh, you really should have read that one. Uh, but for me, maybe Company H is, is the, the Civil War memoir that I, up to now, would have been most embarrassed to admit I've never read. And now I've read it. Uh, so I, I thank you for for that and for all the the really interesting uh, uh, bits and pieces the the vignette of the regiment uh, forming a hollow square at the Battle of Rosaka uh, something that, that some of our listeners may be familiar with it either from this book or seen it taken out of context but to actually read it uh, you know there's a little tactical snippet there that you don't. Uh, you wouldn't get anywhere else. Uh, really, an interesting bit. There's so much of, of great interest in this book. Yeah, and you know, I, Jerry, I, I'm glad that that you know my addition here uh, stimulated you that. I I have to confess as well, though I've been interested for decades in the Civil War. I put off reading the book because I just found the, the, the writing back then, those days, was so formal and uh, oh, so many words. They, you know, they're kind of like mm-hmm. a lawyer; they'll never use one word when ten will do. You know, and I just get sick of that. But uh, for some reason, I, I you know I did pick this one up uh, after having had it in my bookshelf for years, and yeah, it, it made a difference. It did, it, and it turns out that Sam Watkins really, really could write, as you say, in a, a Mark Twain like uh, uh, sometimes humorous, sometimes sincere prose. It's very entertaining. Well, Phil, I want to thank you very much for being on the show, and thank you for bringing this book back to the attention of readers today. Uh, readers, you won't want to miss. Uh, Company H or a sideshow of the big show. If you uh, have read it already, this is still a good addition to have on your shelves because of the maps and annotations. And if you've never read it, uh, now you have no excuse. Uh, it's time to get hold of it. Uh, Phil, thanks so much for being on the show and talking about it with us. Yeah, thank you. And I'd like to, uh, you know, when I, when I get my trading with the enemy done, get a copy of that to you. Well, we'll be in touch. We'll talk about that too. Okay. All right. And lis- listeners, thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Thank you, Jerry. Thank you for embarking on a part of American history this week. Civil War Talk Radio with Jerry Prokopovich can be heard live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.